Hi, everyone. The Witch Wave is technically on summer break right now, but I felt an urgency to reach out in light of current events. I hope you're all hanging in there given all of the horrific news, particularly about the overturning of Roe v. Wade and abortion no longer being a federally protected right here in America. And let's be clear, abortion rights being taken away is just one in a series of attacks that's been happening on bodily autonomy for people of all genders in this country, whether we're talking reproductive freedom or trans rights. And all of that is happening as so-called religious freedom is being used as an excuse to dissolve separation of church and state and allow a minority of white Christian extremists to oppress everyone else with their beliefs. And for the rest of us, this is scary and heartbreaking. But we have fought and resisted in dark days before, and yes, we have ultimately won many battles. And our activism, our magic, our time, our attention, our gifts are all needed here and will continue to be in the months ahead. And our money is needed, so if you have any to spare, please consider donating to the National Network of Abortion Funds, which is at abortionfunds.org. But you're hearing from me now because I recently interviewed witch and activist Sarah Lyons for a Witch Wave Plus episode that was already released for Witch Wave Patreon backers in early May of 2022, when the then-supposed, and what we now know was actual or almost close to actual draft of the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade overturn decision was first leaked. I found this conversation with Sarah to be eye-opening, ear-opening, and heart-opening, and she and I agreed that it might be useful for more people to hear right now. And so I have decided to take it out from behind the Patreon paywall and re-release that bonus episode with Sarah Lyons for you all here now. There is so much more to say and do regarding bodily autonomy and freedom and witchcraft, and I know we'll be digging into it all more throughout the summer on the Patreon Witchwave Plus feed, and of course, when regular Witchwave episodes are back in September for Season 6. In the meantime, I hope you find this conversation inspiring and activating, and I hope that you continue to take good care of yourselves and of each other. And remember... Witches are the future. Now here's that Witch Wave Plus episode with Sarah Lyons for you now. Hello and welcome to Witch Wave Plus. My friends, 
I don't know about you, but I am still reeling from last week's news about the Supreme Court being poised to overturn Roe v. Wade. I'm devastated, but I'm also deeply determined to do whatever is in my power and my personal code of ethics to fight this and to fight for the freedom and autonomy of all people. And a big part of my attraction to witchcraft and to this identity of being a witch is that the witch is not only a spiritual figure, but she, he, they, is also a political figure, an archetype of liberation, justice, independence, and rebellion. Witches are the antithesis of the white, cis, straight, male, theocratic patriarchy, and they subvert oppression and transgress the status quo using their gifts, their skills, their magic. Now, I've been a Planned Parenthood supporter for many years, and I also recently started donating to the National Network of Abortion Funds, though there are, of course, many other places one can donate, among many other actions that one can take. But it is clear that this is just the latest in a series of actions taken by the conservative right-wing minority in this country to control, oppress, and punish anyone who deviates from their view of propriety. The rights of transgender folks, queer folks, people of color, indigenous people, immigrants and refugees, poor people, and women overall are systemically being dismantled, and overturning Roe v. Wade is just the latest in a series of discriminatory legislative and judiciary practices happening here in America that are frankly complete violations of people's civil rights. And I'm not going to lie, I am a hopeful person and a positive witch, but it sometimes feels incredibly overwhelming and really fucking scary. And that is why I wanted to talk to my friend, the writer and activist witch, Sarah Lyons. Because Sarah is someone who has been fighting the good fight for years and who knows how to blend practical, material, political action with magic, imagination, and ferocious hope. Now here's a big content warning for you. Our conversation is heavy. Sarah gives us some pretty tough love, and our chat goes to some dark, even pretty bleak places, and I didn't feel entirely comfortable during it myself, because talking about what's happening in this country is fucking uncomfortable, and it should be. These frightening developments will not just go away without us facing them, and using our power and ingenuity to fight them and conjure spectacular and just new alternatives. 
All that said, I also believe that the only way for us to maintain our energy and morale so that we can do this work in a sustainable, successful way is to be conscious about taking care of ourselves and each other. And that means knowing what we have the bandwidth for at any given time. And so, if you aren't currently in a place or state of mind to be able to listen to some heavy conversation about abortion, rape, oppression, surveillance, fascism, etc., this episode might not be for you in this moment. And that is okay. I will say that Sarah also does offer advice, magical and political inspiration and actions, hope, determination, and bright vision as part of this conversation too. She also happens to be super smart and an utter delight to be around, so if you can hang in there with us, I think it will be worth it. But that is completely up to you. A little more about Sarah Lyons. She is a writer, activist, filmmaker, and witch. Her writing and herself have appeared in Teen Vogue, Vice, the CW show Mysteries Decoded, and her first book, Revolutionary Witchcraft, was published in 2019. Her second book, How to Study Magic, will be out in October of 2022 from Running Press, so keep an eye out for that as well. Sarah, this revolutionary witch extraordinaire, joined me from her home in New York City via Zoom. Sarah Lyons, welcome to Witch Wave Plus. Woo, thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to be here. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I've been wanting you on the show for so long. With the recent devastating, if not at all surprising, news about the Supreme Court and abortion, I have been kind of honestly like spiraling a little bit and I was like who can I talk to immediately (laughs) who will like give some perspective and you were the first person I thought of so thank you so much for doing this so last minute thank you I'm happy to be your prophet of doom slash hope in in these trying (laughs) times exactly Um, yes thank you for having me on this is I, I love the show so this is awesome yay so Sarah I invited you here because not only are you my friend, but you have written this beautiful book. It's a few years old now, but I just revisited it and it is still incredibly all too relevant. And this is your book, Revolutionary Witchcraft, A Guide to Magical Activism. Now, you wrote this book in 2019 just to paint the picture. Trump was still president George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement had not quite crescendoed into what it was to become during the pandemic and and still is. Still, you know, this is so, so 
painfully relevant. And I would just love to hear a little bit of context for what inspired you to write the book. Sure. So once again, thank you for having me on. Um, So I was actually approached by the publisher to write this book. And it was something I had kind of had drafts of. It was was kind of syncretic in that way. I, I had drafts of a book around the intersection of politics and witchcraft and magic and these kind of realms. And um, I got reached out to by Running Press, my publisher, and they said, you know, we really like the stuff you've written around the subject. Uh, would you ever write a book about it? And I was like, honey, I've already got a pitch ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so it kind of went that way. And I, I, there are other books out there or, you know, uh, blog posts and like, people have written about magic and activism, right? I'm not the first person to do this, right? But what I wanted to do wasn't just talk about moments in history where people did literal magic to cause literal change. I wanted to kind of invite people to the idea that magic is a part of the fabric of reality. It's part of what we do every single day. We interact with it without even really consciously thinking about it a lot of the time. And our enemies also do it consciously and sometimes subconsciously, right? Like I, I was and am of the opinion that Donald Trump is a chaos magician, whether he knows it or not. Um, I think if you look at what we're going to talk about today with the religious right, they're obviously using prayer, obviously using magic to advance their ideology. And I think it's kind of foolish, if I'm being honest, of the left or of, you know, people on the opposite side to just kind of leave that spiritual technology sitting there, right? Like, obviously, this stuff works. We're seeing it in action right now. We're seeing the, you know, once you recognize these gears of how things work, it's possible to pick up those reins and use them for good, right? Mm -hmm. We're seeing them used for bad things. We're seeing them used for evil right now. But I think it's, we hurt ourselves when we don't pick up that same charge. I mean, we don't access that same power and use it for positive change, right? And so, I wrote the books to kind of be an introductory book. If you had never done witchcraft before, but you were politically motivated, this could be a way for you to uh, engage in that. Yeah, it could be a gateway for that. And if you were someone who was politically engaged, but you were like, I don't really know why witchcraft is so popular right now. What's going on with this? It could be a way for you to kind of like see into that world and be like, okay, this is what this is about. And like this, this feels appealing to me as well. Right. Mm hmm. And you do such a beautiful job of threading that needle. And one of the things I really appreciate is that you start the book by even explaining like what a witch is and by debunking some of the mythology and pseudo history around witches, while at the same time acknowledging that this is a word that is used and has been used to oppress and silence people in the same way we use the word terrorist or refugee. I'm paraphrasing you now. Um, and, and I really appreciated that framing and I'd love to hear you elaborate on that. Sure, so in the book, I use the metaphor of, I think specifically Islamic terrorism when I am talking about historical witchcraft and like how difficult it is. I'm sure you feel this a lot, Pam, of like how difficult it is when people say like, well, what is a witch? And you're like, uh, how do I, how do I download like several textbooks into your head right yeah. now? Right. Uh, uh, it's very difficult to define like what witchcraft is historically because historically people did not call themselves witches very rarely. I mean, people did, but it was very rare for people to do that because witch was a legal term 
that you were called, right? So the same way that nowadays people don't walk around saying like, I'm a felon. It's so cute. I'm a felon. It's like, no, you, you don't just call yourself that, right? And it's uh, the metaphor I use in the book is kind of like if we if we project a future like 600 years from now where um, Islam no longer exists, right? And we're trying to figure out, we're historians, we're trying to figure out what Islam is and we're looking back in the past. And all we have to go on is like post 9-11 trial records or torture records of people in like Guantanamo Bay or people who have been tried for terrorism, like Islamic terrorism. We get a very bad picture of what Islam looks like, right? Like we get a very sure. inaccurate and scary and short-sighted view and like uh by definition like politically charged view of what that view propagandist view of what that religion looks like right and i think that there's it's not quite the same but i think it is a similar thing that we have to kind of do like a, a framework that we have to don when we look back at witchcraft and we're trying to study it historically saying like okay something was going on here people were doing this people were doing something like what is being alleged here but there's several permutations away from what is probably coming up in these court records because they're talking about like literally cannibalism and horrific acts of violence like these these you know things that probably people were not doing but maybe they were still carrying out like fairy rites and like we're still doing sort of semi-pagan half christian whatever like localized rights in their community right right and and let's just acknowledge that people have engaged in some form of magic throughout time across the globe like yes. this is not but but i think to your point but the framing of the witch and the mythology of the witch and the negative epithet witch was very much this dark invention put yeah. upon people uh to punish to oppress to scapegoat etc yeah and i and i think too if we if we are to acknowledge this right like if we are to say that witchcraft is a political label because it is like a legal label right by necessity i i believe that that means if you are calling yourself a witch nowadays that means you have to stand in solidarity with people who are facing similar oppression right like that means you have to start stand in solidarity with groups of people who are being charged under terrorism, you know, without reason, right? Like, like, like I was just referencing, like, you know, state terrorism that was done to Muslim communities post 9-11, innocent people being dragged up in like the FBI and CIA's net. People, I, I mean, we're going to get, I think we're going to get into this in like a minute, but just like, the word terrorism itself and how, what a slippery definition and politically charged definition that is. Like whoever's in power gets to determine what that word means. And oh boy, does it slip and slide around. <laughs> well, I mean, let's just say some of the obvious things. Um, there were people who attacked the Capitol building and who tried to harm and kidnap and potentially kill sitting members of government and yet we largely are not calling those people terrorists right and i mean i think i i get very antsy around the term terrorist um mm -hmm. because i Same. i have tech i get i have technically been held on terrorism charges like i was i was arrested and held as a terrorist so i i am talk always about that or can you not yeah i can talk about oh yeah those charges were dropped baby <laughs> was this during <laughs> i'm a, a free protest? woman 
Uh, yes, this was I was I was dropping a banner off of the Manhattan Bridge and the banner said vote um, because of certain uh, events, let's say in New York City's history, if you are arrested on a critical piece of infrastructure in the city of New York, you are immediately charged with terrorism. <laughs> so I was arrested and I was questioned by the FBI and the NYPD counterterrorism unit for like six hours. Um, oh. It was really bad. It's it was oh no it was like straight up traumatic. It was very bad. I'm but, sure. Um, I'm sure. But um, it I think here's the thing is like those charges were dropped. I am a free person. I benefit from white privilege from like all these other things. I had a very good lawyer at the time. I'm very grateful for the the outcome that I had because I can now look back on it and reflect on the legal system, reflect on policing, reflect on these these words that we're using right now because I had that momentary brush with that. Mm-hmm. Some people it's not momentary, it's their whole lives. Yep. It's it's the, it marks them for the rest of their life. So to return to kind of witchcraft for a second, I think that when we talk about these words nowadays and I I mean I do obviously I do it too. We throw around the word witch kind of all over the place. And in the past, that would have been so unthinkable for you to do. Unthinkable. Absolutely unthinkable. And I think it's with that lens that it helps us understand perhaps how we can view these people in the past and how we can situate ourselves now looking forward towards laws that might bring about a very similar circumstance Mm -hmm. into our own lives. Mm -hmm. Beautifully said. So let's dive into what the fuck is happening right now. Um, This is so funny. We were joking before we came on, but I was like, I might not be very coherent or articulate this episode. Like I, I've just been kind of screaming in alone, like the last few days in my room. And so if this is just me going, ah, for the the next hour, that might just be it. Fair enough. And Apologies in advance. I don't think anyone would blame you if this was just an hour of screams. That said, revisiting your book honestly made me feel better. And and let's just, for, for anyone who might be listening to this podcast in the future and doesn't know what we're referring to, last week... It has been clear that the the Supreme Court looks like it is about to overturn Roe v. Wade and, you know, dismantle decades of um, a fight to have people who can have babies and get pregnant to have them have autonomy over their bodies and their choices. It's in my opinion, devastating and horrible, not, again, necessarily surprising, but to actually see that it's happening, it's just sickening. And yeah, I I just want to scream and scream about it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a scream worthy thing to happen. Like it's, and there's been a lot of moments where I'm like, okay, no, I'm calm. I got to compartmentalize this. I have to get to work. And then I'll read something. I'll go, God damn it. And I'll just like get back. It's like back to square one, just yelling at my pillow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that rage and that anger can be fuel. It 
can also be something that feels like you are drinking poison for days and days on end. And what I really love about your book and what I loved about revisiting your book in this context was you actually give some practical exercises and rituals and also give us shining examples of ancestors in the past who have used ritual and some form of magic, whether or not they would have called it magic themselves, to help their own protests and activism. So, I mean, I'm happy to just let you scream for a while, but if you feel like you're in a space, and this is all these bastards. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, I think it's like, uh, I was talking with a friend the other day and I, and I think it is a similar feeling to like, I think a lot of people had when Trump won the election yep. in 2016 yep. of like, okay, fuck, like the thing that we thought was going to happen really happened. And it was like, I, I don't, I don't want to be like, um, I knew he was going to win. Right. I don't want to be like that, but I really did think he was going to win. Like, I was like, guys, I don't think you, like, this is really bad. This mm-hmm. is really fucking bad. Mm-hmm. And I, and I remember, I actually remember I was given, a friend of mine had tickets to go to the Javits Center and like see the returns come in. And I just remember being at the Javits Center and starting to see like um, New Hampshire flicker back and forth. And I had such a firm panic attack. I was like, oh my God, he's going to do it. Oh my God, it's going to happen. And I was, like, I was like, I am so sorry, dude. I have to be with friends, right? I have to be with close friends right now. And I like ran back to my friend's apartment and I came in and everyone was already crying and drinking. And I was like, oh my God. And, and I think it's kind of a similar thing of like, we all knew that this was either going to happen or, or was a strong possibility, but it actually happening is like a, a really big emotional response because yes. I think there's this, um, you kind of make plans, right? Being like, well, the bridge is always going to be there, right? I could always get across to the other side of the river. It's always going to be, the the bridge has been there my whole life. And then the bridge is gone one day and you're like, oh, well, I guess I could still get to the other side of the river, but it takes a lot more fucking work. <laughs> like, right. like all my plans are kind of upended because that's gone. Yeah. Right. And Sarah, let's just acknowledge, like you and I are two white women we have a lot more like privilege and safety than a lot of people in this country and have more access. I mean, we live in New York. It looks like, you know, New York is one of those states that is going to be fortifying the right for people to make this choice about their own bodies. But again, like who the fuck knows what's going to happen. Um, so that, that just feels important to say. Absolutely. I think also this is, this is maybe going to sound weird. I don't know if this is going to sound controversial or something, but I, I, I have this thing that I have kind of said for the last week where it's like abortion isn't really about abortion. And this is not about abortion. Like mm. it is, it is about abortion, right? Like it is on a fundamental level. Yes. This is about whether or not women or people who can get pregnant can like have an abortion and that is like a law right like that that is a thing but abortion is actually about whether or not you think another person is a person like it's about whether or not you think that 
I'm so sorry I'm going to say this, but this is just how I feel. It's like whether or not you believe you can kind of rape someone for nine months. Like that's really, I think like that is a big part of like what animates some people to be anti-abortion. Mm. I think beyond that, it is like fantastical thinking about we can force women to be this idealized, fantastical idea of what women are. And we can force trans men to give up the fact that they're trans trans people aren't you don't actually are you're not actually trans you're actually women and you're confused mm-hmm. and we can force you through nine months of pregnancy to be not trans anymore mm-hmm. like I, I really do think it is about that and then beyond that I I've seen a lot of memes and a lot of things being shared lately which are I I I want to say I'm not dissing anyone here. This is not like me subtweeting anybody. I think that these are all shared in good faith and I'm not anti this, but I've seen a lot of people share recently, like, uh, you know, you can't ban abortion. You can only ban safe abortion. And I would invite people to think that actually you can ban abortion. uh, But what that requires is total state control of your body, of your privacy, of your movement, of your medical history of your travel history, of your texts, of your emails, of your spending, of your relationships and who you associate with. I want to, I want people, I know this is like very doom and gloom, but I really think that we have to see abortion not as actually the end goal of a right-wing political project, but actually as an opening to a much wider state incursion upon all of our rights, like mm-hmm. literally all genders, all people, whether you can get pregnant or not, this is going to affect your privacy, your rights, your right to free speech, your right to congregate. Like this is everything. Like because abortion is such an intimate issue and because it rests on so many other things, I really think that we have to be thinking about this as like a totalizing rise in in fascism okay i am i'm sorry to be sounding so i know i know that we're probably sick of hearing that word i know that people have said that word for the past six years and people are like well fascism didn't happen i'm sorry it's fucking happening like look it's 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 this is it this is what it looks like you know Mm. and it's it's being done through the legal system so that when a republican when the gop gets into full power again which they will they're able to seize those reins and and use them against us, right? I, I think that we've been seeing the buildup of this since post in the post 9-11 world, right? I think you look at what the NSA does, you look at the, what the CIA does, you look at what the FBI does, and we've all kind of become accustomed to this surveillance state, right? We've become con- accustomed to, like people make jokes about like, LOL, I'm on a list now because of what I searched. Like, my FBI informant must be so annoyed with like me searching, you know, my whatever this and that. And it's like, that's not funny. Like that's actually the fact that we've internalized it to that degree, I think is actually very serious. And we have to become uncomfortable again with these things because we're about to have this security state turned on all of us in ways that have only since been turned on people that I'm sorry, we did not care about when it was turned on that we did not care about it when it was turned on sex workers on immigrants, on black women, on immigrant women, on um, trans people, people of color in general, like this has been building. And yeah, sorry, I'm, I know I'm, this is where I said I'm going to rant for a long time. But I think, you know, I, I agree for now we're safe in New York. 
right? Mm-hmm. For for now, abortion pills are legal and you can get them anywhere in the United States, regardless of state laws. P.S. For now, if, these if things are there. If you weigh less than 195 pounds, because yes. if you weigh more, there is no pill option, which I just learned. Yes. And so also that, <laughs> also that is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, how long do you think that these things that we, that even the bare minimums that we have, like how long do you think that they're going to allow us to have that? I think for my whole life, I've heard people say they're never going to actually undo Roe v. Wade because that will that will take away their fundraising ability. That will take away. They, they need that to whip up the base. No, they were serious. They were serious this whole time. And you were the ones who weren't listening to them. And so can we all listen to them now? Can we listen to them? I was just reading in the financial. I feel like I'm, like I'm an old person. I was just reading in the newspaper. I like. I was just reading in the Financial Times earlier an interview with someone who's an anti-abortion activist, and he was like, "Well, everything's on the table now. There's nothing that's off the table." Mm-hmm. So I think we have to listen to them when they say that nothing is off the table. They mean nothing is off the table. And what should our response be? I, you know. Yeah, and I think. You know, this has been a very long game, like decades and decades long game also of like, you know, redistricting, you know, who can vote or taking away voting rights of certain populations and, you know, putting judges in certain seats, not necessarily on the Supreme Court, but all throughout, you know, the the country in different positions. And certainly this culmination of these people now on the Supreme Court, all of whom I believe has been kind of wedged in there um, through really unconventional means and is representing a minority of people, you know, and, and that's what I think feels the scariest that most people agree that abortion should be legal. We've seen the statistics. I've seen statistics that, what is it, like 80 something percent of Catholic women believe abortion should be legal or some form of birth control should is is part of their life. And, and that's what, you know, is really upsetting. And, and this is just one example of minority rule of this white, you know, and, and, and I'm going to say Catholic. Christian. <laughs> no, no, like, no, I'm, I was raised Catholic, so I get to be anti-Catholic on this podcast. <laughs> and, and you know what? Joking, like, joking. And I mean, I'll just say, like, I have friends and family members of all different, like, religions and so on, and hashtag not all Christians, hashtag not all Catholics. Absolutely. But, I like, know many good Christians. I, I have some of my best friends are Christians. <laughs> no, but literally, like, literally, that is true. Yes. Um, so no one's trying to, like... But but I also believe that this ideology is not even, like, it's not even in the Bible, like, to tell people that abortion is illegal and or shouldn't be something that people partake in. And it wasn't even until the 1970s that the Christian right even gave a fuck about this and politicized this. So, you know, people have been performing some form of contraception, birth control, and yes, abortion, again, throughout time across yeah. culture. Like, it's it's just wild how it has been politicized relatively recently, too. Well, and I think, again, this kind of goes back to my point where it's like, yes, this is obviously religiously motivated for a lot of people. But I think at the top, I, th- I 
think that there has always been a political goal with relegating abortion because of what it takes to actually do that. Like, again, the state only controls people by how much information that they have on you. Like information is always what the state will use to control people and populations of people. And so if they can make abortion a nationwide felony, like, or even if they can make it a felony in half of the states in this country, you set up a legal precedent to extradite people from other states who have performed abortions, had abortions, known of an abortion and not reported it to the authorities. You set up a legal precedent to uh, have Google hand over your search history, your emails, your texts, you know, all your communications. I think that people aren't really aware of the picture that is painted of them in the digital landscape that is preserved forever by most of these companies that is going to be weaponized against them, whether or not they ever even have an abortion, Mm. whether or not they ever live in a state where this becomes illegal, this is all about to become free reign. And that is what they're salivating over, right? Because to do that, it means to, it's, it, it is a totalizing thing on a population, right? Right. It's uh, there's a huge wing of psychos, of like religious psychos who like are uh, motivating this. And it is a doctrinal thing that is going on. But I think even beyond that, even, even I, I, I grew up in like godless Massachusetts as I think you did as well, Pam. No, uh, and New Jerseyite. A New that's Jersey right. Jew. Okay. So sorry. But I, I grew up in, in uh, godless Massachusetts as I call it. And people like I grew up in, I went to a, a secular school, like a proudly secular school. And I knew people who were anti-abortion there because they were like, well, it's just logical because when, when can we decide when life begins? And I, I just also briefly, this is an aside, this is a metaphysical argument. Yeah. And if people find themselves entrenched in this kind of debate with family members or close friends, like people that you can't just say like fuck off to and you and you want to try to bring over to your side, straight stay away from metaphysical arguments when it comes to abortion, when it comes to gender, because we could sit around until the sun burns out and try to determine when life begins or what makes someone really a man or really a woman. But it is inarguable that access to abortion and access to transition access to bodily autonomy saves people's lives. It is unarguable that these things make people happier and freer and society by extension better. These are inarguable things. And I would really urge people to not into the trap of having metaphysical arguments about life and conception and stick with things like that we know are fucking real and material truths about how abortion, transition and bodily autonomy make society better. Mm-hmm. That's Absolutely. just it. Well, fucking sad. Sarah, I think people who are listening to us maybe appreciate the catharsis. Maybe <laughs> I, I'm just projecting. Maybe some of them are feeling a little bit, I don't know, anxious. And it's good to wake people up. But I have a feeling that people could also use some fucking hope, some actions some magic (laughs) so let's shift into the what the fuck can we as witches as citizens as human beings what can we do and i don't expect you sarah lyons to have all the answers here's how we fix the supreme court okay number one (laughs) jot this down everyone not just that okay um Mm -hmm. 
Breaking no. news. Sarah Lyons saves the motherfucking world. Next it. Guys, I came up with this last night. Guess what? I figured it out. Um, no, I don't fucking know. Just just kidding. I have some ideas. I don't know, but I have some ideas. Okay. Um, okay, so first of all, I think that one thing on the topic of witchcraft is that we've I think become accustomed to, and I'm not against this, but we've be, we've kind of seen the witch archetype and thing in the last few years be a very public facing thing of like how we dress, what kind of art we like, what kind of jewelry we like, what kind of posts we make. It's a kind of performative and aesthetic sort of thing to in, in a lot of sense. Like that's how people experience it, I think for the first time, perhaps or how they show off that they are a witch to someone is like, these kind of witchy aesthetics kind of thing. Mm. And I love it. Like I, I grew up in a time of GeoCities websites with like glittery backgrounds and really ugly <laughs> aesthetics. Yeah. And so I love the, what the turn that has taken place over the last few years. But I do think that we should consider perhaps the witch as a silent and secretive operator. Um, the fact that witches can disappear can become smoke, can blend into the landscape, can operate in secrecy. Shapeshifters. I th- shapeshifters. I think that these are aspects of the witch that we should embrace and witchcraft that we should embrace. I urge everybody to look into digital security and infosec. Um, if you are in a state that is looking to criminalize abortion or has already has restrictions on this, or even if you are like in a state that is not doing that and is thinking you might want to get involved in helping people get abortions, I would switch to using things like the Tor browser or the Brave browser for your internet, um, using things like ProtonMail for email, um, using Signal and other encrypted messaging services for those types of things, like try to get your data out of the country if you can like thinking about these types like so they can't be subpoenaed you know like thinking in these types of terms right i think beyond that i think something that i have something i tried to do with my book and something i I am going to try to do now is say that like witchcraft operates in part in the realm of the imaginal Mm -hmm. right we are witches. <laughs> this is very silly to a lot of people. I sometimes, I like that it's kind of silly. It's like, I'm a witch. That's like, that's like calling yourself a zombie to some people. It's like calling yourself like a werewolf to <laughs> some a people. Like, that's a, I'm a vampire. Like that's like a mythical creature. Right. And um, I mean, there is, I will say for anybody who's like for any Anne Rice or nine, you know, people who were like my age in the nineties fans, like I see you. I see your vampire lodges. I hear you. You are valid, right? Your mm. your house Kapiru and all of that. We love you. Um, uh, but anyways, but it's like, you know, you're saying you're a mythical creature to a lot of people. So I kind of revel in that, but it operates in the realm of the imaginal. Like it operates in like, we are people who talk to spirits and talk to gods and do weird things with the elements and energy. And like, it's like, we're operating outside of the realm of what is possible anyway. And so I think that we have to, I think that what part of what might be hitting people right now is this is this decision is hitting all of us extremely hard, right? I will put my cards on the table right now and say that I identify as a leftist. I don't really like identifying as like one type or the other. I think it's kind of like 
none of us have figured out how to end capitalism. So like, I don't want to nail my identity to be like, I am a communist. I am a socialist. Like I, you know, I try to be flexible. I think it's like, I try to be humble when it comes to these things. Cause like, I think there's things to learn from all of these different ideas and, and tendencies and whatever, but that's where I am coming from when I say this, but like, I have for a while not really believed that the United States is a democracy. Mm-hmm. I have for a while not really believed that the, I, I don't think, and I, I am upheld in that belief that the Supreme Court is an anti-democratic institution, not just like it is, it is anti-democracy in its very conception. I think that when people are confronted with that as a reality for perhaps the first time or like once, maybe amongst a handful of times, there's a disarming thing that comes and says, but I was told that this is how things work. This I was told that this is how things will always be. I was told that this is the route to change. And I was told that if I do the right thing the right way, I will get what I need. And I am not saying to stop doing that altogether. Like I am not saying, like I plan to still vote in my local election here in New York state, right? So I'm not saying like, you know, burn your voter registration card, right? But I am saying that we really do have to start thinking, we have to make our imaginations bigger. Mm. And that should be, that is a scary thing at first, but I want it to be an exciting thing to people. I want it to be a thing that actually is cause for liberation. I, I want people to read these books, read these texts, read, read. I mean, if when you go back and you read, you know, books written in the 19th century or the 20th century by some of these radicals and revolutionaries, they're facing very similar circumstances that we were facing now and they won Mm -hmm. and, or they, they made incredible progress. And I think we need to start looking at those groups and at those people for inspiration because, and and expanding our our ideas about the political, the actionable, the possible are because the right a very huge imagination like they are completely ready and willing to have a theocratic dictatorship in place that seems crazy to a lot of people but i want when you hear that and you say that's crazy what's the opposite of that in your mind mm-hmm. like what's the crazy opposite of like i want to live in a fucking pastoral city where like there are you know there are little collectives being run all over of people who just like run libraries and micro farms and solar farms. And like, I want people to like ride to work on a whale. I'm being kind of silly right now, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I I, I want people to be like really expansive in their thinking in the other direction. That's one thing. Sorry. I'm going off right now. This is great. The other thing is I can say this just as an, or someone who's done a lot of organizing for a lot of, for many years, there's a feeling I think that comes when you want to get politically involved where you say, okay, I am going to, like, I, fuck it, put me in coach. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to get everyone. And that's awesome. What is likely is that there are groups who are doing the thing that you want to do already. Yes, what I would do better than you know how to yes. <laughs> have years and years of experience and resources and um, yeah, to follow them. Yeah. So I would say, look to your local area or to areas that you care about or know about and go up to them and say, Hey, I have these skills or I have this time on my hands, right? I can, I can do data entry. I can make posters. I can 
do email blasts. I can write press releases. I can escort people. I can donate this money. Like, what do you need? Mm-hmm. And they will tell you, we need this. And that is honestly the best thing that you can also do. Yeah, I think we need to get really creative. I have this joke that I make with people sometimes, which is like, you may not agree with anarchism as a philosophy or as a way of life or as a political idea, but we should all start reading anarchist texts and philosophies and getting acquainted with these ideas because whether we like it or not, we are all about to become anarchists. Like the state is about to turn its entire weight against us and become an antagonistic force against it. And if we are to see that happen, if this is a war of attrition, we need to know how to, what, what we are in that fight. We need to know what skills we need to learn in that mm-hmm. fight and what we can do. And I know that is so scary, but I want it to be hopeful because people have done this before. Mm-hmm. People have thought about this before. People have won these battles before. Okay. And these resources are out there. You can still access them. I want people to do that. I want people to learn. I want people to get organized. I want people to stay mad. And I want people to take that anger and to turn it into action because Mm -hmm. we are going to need that. And we are going to need that in a sustained and huge way, not just this year, for years to come. In addition, Sarah, to donating material skills and time and money, etc. A big through line in your book, Revolutionary Witchcraft, is also donating magic and ritual. And in our final few minutes together, I'd love for you to just expand upon that. I mean, in your book, you have rituals that people can do, you have spells that people can cast, different magical techniques that they can learn to develop. Why is that an important part of this fight? How is it effective? How can people start? Yeah. So, I mean, I will just say, I, I don't make any claims to know exactly how magic works, right? I have my own ideas, right? I, I have some of my own ideas about it. I think that there's some like, uh, good theories about it. I don't know how the fuck this shit works, right? (laughs) Like just to be very glib. I don't know. That's what I Um, always say. I always say, but I wouldn't waste my time if it didn't. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I mean, listen, the proof is in the pudding, hun. Like look at our, (laughs) look at our opposition. Look at them with their rosary beads. Look at them praying outside of these clinics. Look at them, you know, doing mass, like, I'm sorry, doing mass ritual to end abortion. And they're winning. You can't argue with success. And so I would say to anybody who is skeptical, perhaps, of this is that magic is neutral space. We all have access to that. We all have access to magic, just as we all have access to electricity, to energy, to like air. Like it is just a thing that is there and that we can tap into. Um, I think it is going to depend perhaps on the space that you are living on and the tradition that you come from. One thing that might be worth doing is like researching the history of the land that you are on, seeing what people were genocided on that land based on access or in access to abortion. Like 
forced abortion or in access to it as a right, like look into that as a thing, look into what resistance movements in your local area did abortions like as an act of resistance, like look into these types of people. And those are ancestral voices and spirits that you can call upon, make altars to them, pray to them, leave offerings to them, ask for their guidance. I think that this is engaging with those specific people and places is very important. Um, I think, I mean, I, I kind of just went through this, but I, th I think that something that I get frustrated with in like a lot of political spaces is the kind of like lack of final vision, like that it's, it's a, um, well, we just have to do this. We just have to react to this. We just have to do this one thing. This is the most important election. This is, no, this is not, this is this. And it's like, okay, guys, what are we fighting? What do we want? Like, what, like, what do we want as the end goal? And I think that that begins to clarify a lot of things. And I think in magic too, it's like when you're enchanting for something, right? You don't think about, well, I need a new dress and I need this thing and I need more money here. It's like, no, you say, I need this job. And in order to get that job, like, or in order to get a life that looks like this, I need this type of job. I need this type of house. I need this type of per people in my life. I need, and you, and you work up towards that and you enchant towards that. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that we should start looking at our society the same way and saying, okay, I want a society that looks like this. How do I get there? And then start using that as a framework to say, okay, well, this person needs to be like cursed out of office. This person needs to be like, you know, type magic done on them. This person, this, this and this needs to happen in order for that society to be built. And I think things become clarified magically when we start to think that way, like in terms of goals, rather than just, um, you know, these, these battles that we find ourselves fighting, if that makes sense. It does. One of the things I appreciated so much about your book is that you give examples of activists who've come before, who've incorporated ritual into, or, or magic in general, whether they called it that or not, into their protest. Um, you have this really great line, all protests are spells. And I agree with that. I also agree that those spells can come in different forms. And, you know, you have these great examples from everybody from ACT UP, who, you know, were AIDS activists. You have the Zapatistas and indigenous activists and allies at Standing Rock and, and so on. And you have examples of them using language or song or different kinds of ritual or magical actions as part of their protest in very real ways, not in metaphorical ways, but in very real ways. Can you maybe talk about one of your favorite examples of those just to help people maybe imagine or concretize what they might want to bring to some kind of action? Hmm, that's tough. Thank you for, for picking up and noticing that. I Yeah, like I said, in the book, I tried to do groups that were not, like I feel, I feel like it's a thing when you talk about magic and politics, very understandably and reasonably so, and like, like with great honor, people talk about things like the Haitian revolution, which is obviously like caused by magic and voodoo. I talk about like, uh, you know, the first wave feminist movement and like spiritualism and how that fed into it. And like, 
this these are histories that we need to know and need to be honored but i wanted to pick out things that were not explicitly magical but were where magic was obviously at play and what was going on um i think that for the interim period we should look to groups like act up because they were very effective and because their tactics were maligned in their time and i mean i don't want to get too into this but i i have a family member who was a lobbyist for big pharma and would never stop talking about how much she hated act up but guess what they forced her to do the right things so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean uh you know this is also partially where my politics come from it's like i i've heard what these people say when the doors are closed sorry mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but yeah i think uh you know people in act up were literally taking the ashes of their dead loved ones and dumping them on the white house lawn and saying i curse you george bush I curse you until the day you die and after you die. And I pray that there is a hell for you to burn it. Like that is so like, <laughs> can we bring some of that back, please? Like, I'm so tired of people being like, it's mean to yell at Brett Kavanaugh on his lawn. Bitch, shut the fuck up. It is not me. This is kindness to just yell at him on his lawn. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that is, that is the nicest thing that you could do to that man right now. And any of these people on that Supreme court. So I think that that is one in the interim to look at people in the in the more recent past who have like done incredible brave acts, people who were given a death sentence and nevertheless called on their own dead loved ones and soon to be dead loved ones and like use that weaponize that magic against the state and against oppressive regimes. Right. I think that there's also and this is maybe the scary, but also hopefully uplifting part is I think that we should learn and look to the Zapatistas in Chiapas, in Mex- in so-called Mexico, because they led an indigenous resistance movement that made their state free and that freed them and that they have actually expanded their territory in the last few years and have actually retained bodily autonomy, economic autonomy, military autonomy from the rest of Mexico. That's a huge win. Like that is that is incredible and did it with the language of love and did it out of love for humanity, love for their people, love for their land. I think it's worth looking at pe- how people have done that and thinking how we might bring an ethic like that to our own fights. Mm. <sighs> Sarah. <sighs> Pam. <laughs> What else is there to say other than ah? ah! <laughs> Hours of screams. Um, well, this listen. is the thing: is you're getting like the PG. <laughs> you're getting the you're getting the PG Sarah here, but I'm glad that we were able to have this event. I am too. Before you go, and I know this would have been. I have my editor hat on, and I know that would have been the perfect place to end. But you did bring up something that I have discomfort with, and I just have to follow that discomfort. Cursing, hexing, like I'm one of those people that's like don't, don't, don't turn into the the very people that you are fighting against. Um, and so hexing someone, cursing someone 
just makes me feel deeply uncomfortable. I'm much more comfortable with binding, with banishing, with protective magic rather than harming someone else. I also know that that comes from a place of privilege because I, you know, if, if, if I know cops are like a loaded thing to bring up, especially at the end of this conversation, but there's a better chance. <laughs> at the that, hour like, mark, let's right? talk about policing let's in America. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, I've had the privilege of knowing that like if I call the cops, which I'm not doing, everybody, just to clarify. But but if I were to, you know, they would probably believe me over a person of color who would call the cops in a similar state of threat. I know I'm not saying this as smoothly as I can. I hope it's coming across okay. And so maybe it's that privilege that has blinded me and made me think like, well, I don't have to use hexes and curses because like maybe some part of me still has this white privilege blind spot that makes me feel like, you know, I just don't need to go there and like dirty myself with that. But I, but I do believe in like, like not hurting people. And that I know that's so fucking naive in some contexts when, you know, these are people who actively are trying to hurt me and people I know and love. So I don't know. Can you talk a little about cursing and hexing? Because I'm just not sure how I feel about it. I think that, um, let me talk first about maybe protesting in direct action and that kind of side, side of it before we go to maybe the magical side of it, right? So I am someone who does not feel comfortable getting arrested again. I am someone who doesn't feel comfortable breaking the law again uh, because I had a very unfun time when that happened to me. I'm someone with a lot of anxiety problems and that was very scary to me to have that happen. And people can call me a big old baby for that or whatever. I don't really care. Of uh, Getting arrested is scary, especially under certain circumstances. So you don't have to be someone who is in a glossy, glamorous role, getting arrested in front of the Supreme Court or doing something kind of edgy and in the public eye to be doing a good thing. Donating to bail funds, donating to, uh, you know, people that are supporting that, doing uh, work on the outside of like, legal help, calling people, being a buddy at a protest, being a like liaison. These are all things that are like very peaceful and very um, protective that you can do. And I think in the same breath, like you don't have to, if malefic magic is not your speed or not something that you're good at or not something you want to do, don't feel pressured to do it. You know, malefic magic is hardcore stuff and it requires, I think, a certain temperament and rituals and cleansings and all of that stuff to perform like correctly, quote unquote. So if you are looking at all of this and you say, this is all horrible, I hate everything. And you're like, well, I, but I don't, I also am not the person who wants to like, you know, curse at these people. You can do protective magic on the people who are uh, out there getting arrested or out there doing stuff or the people who are doing malefic magic or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You can do protection rituals, banishing rituals, cleansing rituals. I, you know, I myself at protests and things like that have offered like protection magic before for people going into it or 
uh, you know, cleansing afterward or something like that. These are things that I think that we can incorporate into a protest space, into an activist space, into a direct action space that is very syncretic with witchcraft and everything that we're talking about right now and does not have to be necessarily antagonistic, but can be part of a larger kind of movement that we're working towards. It can be supportive. And can be supportive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm not telling anyone else what to do or what to think. I'm just talking about little old me and where I'm at right now. Um, So I appreciate you addressing that, Sarah, because I think about it a lot. And, you know, I feel on a personal level like I want to be a force for good in this world. And that doesn't mean that I turn away from the shadow side or any of that. I think that's part of being a force for good is trying to incorporate shadow in a healthy way and integrate it in a healthy way. Um, But yeah, I also personally, for my code of magical ethics, am not someone up to this point who rocks with malefic magic myself. So I'm glad you don't think I'm a big old wuss. And I'm glad you think that witches like me have value too. You absolutely do. And I think um, I think the only thing that really upsets me is people who kind of shame people for only doing one or the other type of magic or activism, right? Like, I think I get upset when I see people getting really mad. Like, why did those people get so angry at that protest? Or why did people break that window? Or like, well, you're being a big old baby. You're just sitting at home posting. You're just sitting at home voting. Not everyone can do everything. There's a lot of reasons people aren't in either space. There's a lot of nuance to these arguments. There's a lot of like, these are not static things. (laughs) They're just like hovering around. And furthermore, all of this is necessary. Like all of this is like a thing that can be led towards a greater goal for all of us. And I think that it is, I don't like it when we shame. I think that the time for shaming should be really over. I think that the stakes are very high right now. And I think that we really have to like stop with the, call out posting and stuff with the annoying I I don't I don't know how to say it but just like things are really really serious right now and we need all hands on deck and that means hands that you don't necessarily agree with all the time you know Mm -hmm. like we need to start talking to each other about these tactics and about strategies you know absolutely Well, Sarah, I am holding a vision of you riding a whale to work, or maybe you don't have to work anymore. I'm riding it to my job at like the solar farm (laughs) on (laughs) newly liberated Southern Manhattan, the People's Republic of Manhattan. I don't know. Full bodily autonomy for all, justice, equality, health, love, fun, joy, thriving peace for all anything you want to add to the mix all that stuff and more all that stuff in spades all the good all right my friend keep fighting the good fight i know you will i just adore you i thank you so much for making time for this conversation for this catharsis and I hope in the middle of screams, you give yourself a nice big old soothing cup of tea. (laughs) I'm going to do that right after this. Actually, I'm going to pour myself a big old cup of tea. This has been so much fun. Pam, thank you so much for having me on. This has been lovely and uh, best of, you know, best of everything to you and your listeners. Mm, Thanks, love. Take care. Bye. That's it for the show. 
Many thanks as always to Matt Freeman, Laura Antal, and Cece Pascal. And thank you all for your support and for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave. <laughs>